Father, by your Spirit, come and open your word to our eyes. Reach deep into our hearts, change us by it. Your word is powerful, it comes from heaven like the rains that green the earth and bring new life. So come with that kind of power and transform us that we might flourish. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Amen. Well, we're going to start a six-week study of the Lord's Prayer. If you're visiting with us, we have been working our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus' probably most famous sermon. And we're kind of camp out here on the Lord's Prayer. We pray this every week. Right? I sort of half expected when I was reading it for someone to at least jump out and start reciting it with me because um, that's what we do when we pray every Sunday. It's, and I think it's, it has this tendency to become that routine. When we hear it, we just kind of jump in and recite it and don't really think about it, don't really understand what we're doing and what we're praying. And so we're going to spend the next six weeks looking specifically at the Lord's Prayer. It's going to be six weeks long simply because there are five petitions, five things that we're told to ask for, and then an introduction to the prayer. So today we're going to look at the introduction, and, and what Jesus is going to do over the next six weeks is he's going to take us to school to teach us to pray. He's going to mentor us. Now, the Lord's Prayer is, is so important in the history of the church. Throughout the ages of the church, the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed have sort of began the pillars on which um, new converts were taught, right? So someone comes to faith in Christ. God gives them new birth. They give themselves to the Savior. He gives themselves to them. And the first thing the church has typically done is to teach them the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, this is what you should believe as a follower of Jesus. The Lord's Prayer, this is how you should relate to your new Savior. In fact, the Heidelberg Catechism is framed in a large section on the Lord's Prayer. Our own Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism is framed with a large section on the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting how the Heidelberg does this. The Heidelberg's divided into three sections. First, our sin and misery. Second, our deliverance. Third, our thankfulness. This is who you are in your sin. This is what Jesus has done. This is how you should respond in thankfulness. And the first section of thankfulness is the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus is going to take us to his schoolhouse. He's going to mentor us to teach us to pray. And I think nothing is essential, as essential, to the Christian life as prayer. And nothing is more neglected in American Christianity than dependent prayer. But before we move on, think we need to define prayer a lot of you know sort of one of those terms especially within the church circles you hear a lot but may not understand children it's really simple to understand prayer the littlest child can understand it it simply is this talking to God that also gives us a definition of what prayer is not prayer is not just simple silent contemplation because prayer at its core is communication. It involves words between two persons, 
God and us. He speaks in His Word. We respond in speaking back to Him in prayer. It involves words because communication involves words. And when Jesus teaches His disciples how to pray, He gives them words to use. There is a time for silent contemplation in the Christian life, a discipline that we need to develop. We need to learn to be silent before God. But prayer involves speaking because it is communication. It is talking to God. Secondly, prayer is also requests. Prayer is asking God to do things. And you don't need to be ashamed by this. You don't need to be ashamed to always be asking God to do things for you. He does not grow tired of your request. Again, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he gives them five things to petition God for. Ask God to do these things. That's what he wants from his people. He wants us to ask. And so what we're going to do today in our time in the introduction to the Lord's Prayer is we're going to look at two things, two important things. To whom do we pray and why do we pray? What I really want us, my goal for us today, and really over the next few weeks, is not only to learn to pray, but to get excited to pray, to get off the bench, so to speak, and get in the game. But if we're going to talk if prayer is communicating with God, if we're going to talk to someone, the first thing that we need to know is what is that person really like? To whom do we pray? So if they're angry, I've got to approach them a certain way. It's the first thing that's important in any communication. You know, how do I know you? Who are you? If you're angry, I've got to approach you a certain way. If you're reserved and cautious, I've got to be warm and engaging. If you don't like me, then, then I've got to have my guard up and be careful about what I say. If, you, if I'm certain you're in love with me, then I can let my guard down a little bit and be myself. And so it's important. Who are you? And so Jesus says, from the very beginning, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. And when Jesus teaches us to pray like this, he starts with our Father. He's placing us securely in, a, in an identity-shaping experience. This is who you are. Praying our Father, you see, first places us in the story, in the long story of Scripture. See, Israel was called God's son. The kings were often referred to in ancient Israel as sons of God. And so when we put these words on our lips, our Father, we're placing ourselves in the long story of Scripture of a God who is faithful in keeping His promises to His people. And this also gives us an identity that's formed in a community. You notice how the prayer is formed? Not my Father, but our Father. In each of these petitions, it's a community activity. Our Father, true spirituality, isn't just individual, and it isn't first individual, it's first corporate. We lose this oftentimes in American Christianity. We think that true spirituality is about me and Jesus, and this is just an add-on to that. 
But in the scriptures, true spirituality is about the entire community coming together. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, it's not my Father, it's our Father. We're together in a community that has been faith, shown the faithfulness of God. This is who we are. So when we pray our Father, we say we belong to a community where God rules and God reigns and God cares deeply about his people. We belong to a community that was rescued out of slavery in Egypt and brought into the promised land. We belong to a community when we pray our Father where God dwelt with his people and fought their battles and always wins. We belong to a community where God provides for the forgiveness of his people through the shedding of another's blood. That's our community. We belong to a community where God is gracious and kind and will never forsake his people. We belong to the people whose God is a father and does not need to be manipulated because he knows his people and always gives them what he needs. It's a long history of this, brothers and sisters. From the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Israel, when Adam first sinned, all the way through to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming again of our Savior. is a long story that we put ourselves into when we say our Father. Secondly, when we pray our Father, it also confirms our union with Christ. See, in Christ, I am an adopted son. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been made one with him, and that makes you a son, not just a child. child's too generic for what we receive when we become Christians. Because when we say we're adopted sons, we are affirming this. What is true about Jesus is true about me. And by faith in him, I share all of his blessings, all of his inheritance, and all of his favor. So when I pray, I, our Father, I'm putting the words of Jesus on my lips. And I'm drawing near to God who says, I love you just as I love my son. I love my eternal son. I love my faithful son. And in him, I love you too. And so his address becomes your address. The way he calls out to his father becomes the way you address God. When we pray our father, we're drawing near to a God who dwells in inapproachable light. The angels cover their eyes. They're so afraid to look on his holiness. And when we say, our Father, we're doing so because we know in Jesus Christ, I have bold access to his throne. One of my favorite pictures is little JFK Jr. on the desk of his father. You know the picture. You've seen it. In the Oval Office, playing, playing under the president's desk. Why? Because he has free access. That's not the most powerful room in the world. That's where his father is. And when we pray, our Father, I am saying, I am a son in the Son. Because Jesus taught us to address God. My Father is now your Father. If you don't belong to Jesus, you don't have that privilege. You don't have the privilege of saying our Father. You have the privilege of saying, Holy One, righteous, the one who's I'm under your wrath, Forgive me of my sins. Make me a son. It's an easy access into these rights and privileges. It's not by what you do. It's by what Jesus done. And he opens up that kind of privilege to you. If you don't belong to him, give yourself to him. And he will give you all of his benefits. Thirdly, praying our Father actually joins us 
in the work of God the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's the spirit of adoption. Paul writes, Romans chapter 8, all who led by the spirit of God are sons of God. He later goes on, he says, if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. All who belong to Jesus has the spirit and all who have the spirit are confirmed as God's sons. God himself, by his spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. And so when I pray, our Father, the Spirit joins with my spirit and confirms that you doubt. You doubt God's pleasure in your life. Put these words on your lips in prayer. Our Father, I doubt as you pray, the Spirit will confirm you. He will give you courage and joy in your salvation. But you also join with the Spirit because He's a Spirit of adoption. He searched you. And you know you're in such difficult times. You do not know how to pray. And we join with the Spirit for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with the groanings groanings too deep for words so it's this dance almost in prayers we pray our father we might be praying to the father but as we pray to the father the son comes into view and in all of his works and all of his benefits and as i pray to the father the spirit comes into view and in all of his benefits it reminds me of the old quote from augustine fourth century church leaders said this way said whenever I think of one person of the Trinity they all come begin to come into view our father joining with the son joining with the spirit that's who we pray to but why pray what's well, interesting here that in the heart of Jesus's warnings you'll remember from last week that in this these passages here starting with verse one of chapter six Jesus is confronting hypocrisy. And if you're not a Christian, you're visiting with us, and you're tired of the hypocrisy of the church, and you think that Christians are known by that, you'd be in good boat. Jesus does too. He does not want his people to be hypocrites. He wants to be honest and authentic. And in this midst of telling us to beware against the danger of pretending to be more righteous than we are, he drops in in discourse on prayer. And aside on prayer. He doesn't do this for the others. He says, look, when you're giving, don't do it hypocritically. When you're praying, don't do it hypocritically. When you're fasting, don't do it hypocritically. But when it comes to prayer, he stops. And he says, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you how to pray. And here's why. It's easy to give and to fast. But it is hard to pray. Let me borrow from Martin Lloyd-Jones here. It's very convicting. This just ripped my heart out this week when I read it. It says this, When a man is speaking to God, he is at his most true self. It is the highest activity of the human soul, and therefore it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. 
everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Man, that just ripped me to shreds. I, my calling is to do two things in this world. Everything else is, is just, it's just icing. It's just not even that important. Well, icing might be the best part, part of the cake, so we won't go there. Word and prayer. As an elder, that's what I'm called to do. And I'll do almost anything with my time but to spend it diligently in prayer. I'm a failure at this. And so as I thought about this this week, I thought, let me, let me rescue us, if I can, let me rescue my own soul from my prayerlessness. And let me give us four reasons to pray. Before we get into prayer in the weeks ahead and how to pray, let me... Let me give us four reasons to pray. One, first, this is the shortest one, we're instructed to, right? Our master has told us to pray, so we should. Our reasons literally could stop there. That would be sufficient. Our king commands, so we obey. But thankfully, thankfully the gracious God expands his reasons. He convinces us. Perhaps, in fact, our access to God in prayer is the greatest benefit that we have. The greatest benefit of belonging to Jesus is the privilege to pray. So secondly, the king commands, that's enough. But secondly, because it moves God's hand, right? Why pray? Because it moves God's hand. There's a mysterious component to this. I don't know how prayer moves God's hands. It's a mystery. Here's what I mean by a mystery. Scripture reveals the truth, but it doesn't reveal all the details of the truth. So there are other mysteries in the Bible, like God is one being, three persons. There's one God who eternally exists in three persons, not three gods not one God who shows up in three different ways. One God, three persons. That's what the scriptures reveal. It doesn't reveal all the details of that, so it's a mystery. Another mystery. Prayer moves God's hands. I can explain it to a degree, but I can't explain it exhaustively. And one of these times, when the sick needed to be healed, Jesus prayed. And the lame walked away. When the apostles were arrested and put into prison, the church prayed and the walls shook them free. And they showed up, jail sprung open. When we pray, God unleashes his power, he moves his hand. Perhaps we don't believe this, so we don't pray. And perhaps we don't believe it because we haven't seen it, because we don't pray. But this is what God has said. Pray, I'll work. Thirdly, we pray. Why pray? Because we need it. You will not thrive unless you pray. 
Again, you can do every other spiritual discipline, and this is what you'll find. Your soul will just begin to shrivel up. I don't know why I'm so spiritually dry. I read my Bible every day. I don't know why I'm so spiritually dry, but I'm giving away money. I don't know why I'm spiritually dry. Have you prayed? Your soul can do every other spiritual discipline. It it will begin to shrivel if it's not tended to in prayer. I mean, Jesus, don't forget this. The perfect son of God frequently retreated to be with his father because he needed it to thrive. When faced with the cross, the greatest of his challenges, he went away to a garden to pray. You see what prayer does is engages us with God the Father. It takes the generic concept of God as a distant being and it brings him close and it brings him near that I could experience him as a loving father. And when we pray, it also engages us with our father. You get this, who is in heaven. It, it engages my soul. It connects heaven in my current experience. And heaven is not just a, a place. It's not just like Jesus is like, hey, you're on earth, God's in heaven. He's in a different place than you, so you're praying to a God who's in heaven. Heaven's not primarily about a place, it's about a realm. A realm is different. A realm is an enchanted place where things happen that are beyond our imagination, or not like anything that we experience here. So children, if someone said to you, where is Narnia, or where is Hogwarts, you would really have a hard time telling them where it is because it's not a place that's physically located. Narnia and Hogwarts are realm places. They're enchanted places where things beyond our imagination happen. A realm of being, not so much a physical location. And so when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, he's not simply saying, hey, you're on earth, God's in heaven. He's in another place. It's richer than that. God's in a place where he dwells in perfection and beauty. A place where his glory consumes the desires of the angels and they're satisfied. God dwells in a place of joy and satisfaction. It also communicates, it accentuates the otherness. This is a distinction of holiness. He dwells in heaven. He's not like, in other words, our earthly fathers. We fall into this trap where we reason from our experience and bring it to God. God, you must be like, you know, our father... Jesus is saying, who is in heaven is not like your earthly fathers. Was your earthly father hot-headed with a temper? Our father who is in heaven is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Was your earthly father cold and distant? Our father who is in heaven is compassionate and draws near to the brokenhearted. Was your father stingy, making you work for everything you had? Our Father who is in heaven is generous and gracious and who gives us all things in Christ. And so when we pray, it reorients us. God, you're not like X, Y, and Z. You're not like our earthly fathers. You're our Father who is in heaven. You are like as you have revealed in your word and done in your Son. We also acknowledging as we pray, though, our Father who is in heaven we're also acknowledging, look, you're the sovereign one. You are in control of all things. You're the one who brings calamity and peace. You make nations rise and fall. 
You control the tornadoes. You tell the where the hurricanes, where their boundaries are. You hold the hearts of kings and presidents in your hand and steer them like a river. He's the first. He's the last. He's a father in heaven whose power has no equal or limits. He's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ who raised his son, his sin-cursed son from the dead to new life and therefore has become your father who is in heaven. And we need this not just in our heads, in our hearts. We need to see this in the face of God. And as we pray, he comes near. And so when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, though, it's a little dangerous because we're also acknowledging you can do with me as you want. And sometimes it is your choice as the sovereign, all-powerful, and gracious, loving Father to say no because you know what I really need any father knows this to give your children cotton candy when they're malnourished just hurts them doesn't heal them so when we pray our father who is in heaven we need this reorientation do with me as you will I know you love me and give good gifts to your children lastly why pray We've kind of gone down this road, so I'm going to keep us going down this road. It's necessary for relationship. So many of us lack experiential knowledge of God because we don't relate to Him as a person. We relate to ideas about Him. We intellectually assent to doctrinal truths about Him. We take on His morality. But would you rather read a story about your spouse or be with your spouse. A description about them, it doesn't satisfy to hear about God through his word read and preached but not experience him is not what he intends for his people. He wants your heart, not just your mind. He wants your affections, not just your ears. He wants your heart to be stirred and on fire in love with him, dwelling under his fiery love for you. The greatest blessing that God gives to his people is the experience of knowing him and being known by him. The promise that reverberates throughout the Bible is this. I will be your God. You will be with my people. The greatest blessing that Israel had was that God was in their midst. And he wasn't in the midst of the other nations. And the greatest blessing that we have by faith in Jesus Christ is we are known by God and loved by Him, and He is with us. Let me borrow from J.I. Packer here again. This is in his book, Knowing God, transformative book in many of your lives, my life. I'd highly recommend it. But Packer says this, Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about Him. It is a matter of dealing with Him as He opens up to you and being dealt with by Him. Friends, friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. So we must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship and could not indeed be a deep relationship with between two persons if it were not so. And so Jesus says this amazingly difficult and confusing thing, as he often does. When you pray, verse 7, 
don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard with their many words. This is the way they did. Like, okay, if we say the right things in the right order enough times, then God will be at our disposal. And he says, look, that's the entire economy. The framework's wrong. You know, God doesn't come to your disposal because of your performance. He comes to you because of my performance. If you entrust yourself to me, God will become your father. I'll perform in your place. My righteousness will be yours. My guiltlessness will be yours. My blood will wash away your sins. I will perform and he will become your father. So don't be like the Gentiles. They've got it all messed up. Instead, this. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Which is an amazing truth. He knows what you need. I don't know what you need. Some of you have sat in my office pouring your heart out and I've just had to look you in the face and say, God, I don't know how to help you right now. Let's pray. I know the one who will help, but I don't know. But the father, he knows he knows what each of you need. Individually knows what each of you need. But it is a little bit weird. He's like, okay, but you got to ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him, so let me teach you how to ask him. And that question has always bothered me. For a long time, it just seemed like it made just prayer like perfunctory. Like, we just got to go through the motion. Like, okay, Dad, give it to me. And then I had children. And I learned that father often knows what he needs before his children asks. He studies his child. A parent can distinguish a cry. That's a cry that's hungry. That's a cry that needs a diaper. And you know what you do when you hear the cry that needs a diaper? You pretend that you're sleeping. <laughs> A father knows what a child needs before they ask. But as the child grows, he wants the child to learn to ask. So the parent might hold back just a little bit until the child asks. It's no longer appropriate for a four-year-old just to whimper and get what they want. No, they have to use their words. Because it builds relationship. When the child asks and the father gives, I know what you need, I want you to ask me. Because in that moment, we're bonding together. A deep bond is formed when requests are made and then provided for. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, you don't have to manipulate the Father with many words or the right phrases because he loves to give good gifts to his children. But because he wants his children to have the greatest gift of himself, the greatest gift he has to give himself and the joy of being known by him and knowing him he wants his children to ask and so the savior will teach us over the next five weeks how to ask and what to ask for let's pray our father who is in heaven. There is no greater privilege 
that we have than to have you as our Father. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us this kind of access. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us to cry out, Abba, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you even now intercede for us, and that, Holy Spirit, you even now are groaning for us. And so we want to learn to pray. Make us a people of dependent and expecting prey. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.